In just a moment, I'm going to read for us from the Gospel of Matthew and then a little bit from Romans 12 as well. You are welcome to open your Bibles and follow along in your Bibles with me if you'd like to do that. However, I will say that this is one of those mornings where I will be in any number of texts, and I've tried to sprinkle as many of them as possible in the bulletin itself, so you may find it more convenient to just follow along in your bulletins, but as you would like and as is best for you. This is now uh, sermon number five in a series that we've been doing this summer. Uh, called Eat Hearty, A Biblical Theology of Eating and Drinking. And in the first three of those sermons, we kind of got a framework from Scripture that allows us then to consider some of the specific things that are said in Scripture about eating and drinking. But those first three provide the framework, and now we're on, if you will, the fifth. The, the one that we did last week was looking at the dietary laws in Scripture, to see those, to see why uh, they were put into place, why they were lifted, and what does that mean uh, for us today. And today, you won't be surprised, I trust, having probably looked at the verses that are on the front of your bulletin and listened to the Old Testament reading, you won't be surprised to discover that our theme today is hospitality. So the idea of hospitality, if we were to take that Greek word and pull it apart, is a love for strangers. And it is a theme that we see throughout the scriptures as a whole, from Old Testament to New Testament, and we see it particularly emphasized by Jesus in the passage that I'm going to read for us from Matthew chapter 25. So let me read that one for us, uh, and then I'll go uh, to Romans 12. This is the Word of God. Give your attention to it as it is the Word of God. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you, a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, 
but the righteous into eternal life. Now let me read for us as well a section from Romans, Romans chapter 12, where Paul, having set forth his beautiful theology of salvation and of growth in Christ, then begins to apply some very specific things about our Christian lives itself. I'll just read a short section here, beginning at verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that this morning you would crank open our hearts and that you would teach us from your word. We pray, Spirit, that you would quicken these words unto us so that they don't just fall on deaf ears this morning but so that you grant us the grace of being good hearers of your word and then hearers who try to figure out how we can live it and how we can put it into practice. Lord, enable me this morning to speak your word clearly, enable our minds to comprehend it and take it in as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It would be difficult for me to overstate the importance of hospitality in the life of faith and as it is uncovered for us, as it is written about in the pages of the Bible. So what I would like to do this morning in order to help us to see how significant this theme is, is to take us kind of on a scriptural journey to show us what the scriptures have to say about this theme of hospitality. Now, I will admit to you that I'm going to go very quickly this morning, and you might be dancing around a little bit trying to figure out how all these passages fit together, but I think we can do it because the theme itself is pretty clear, it's, it's pretty straightforward, and so are the texts that I'm going to be referring to as we go on this little uh, scriptural journey to see the theme. And the way I'm going to do it this morning is instead of going from uh, Old Testament to New Testament, I'm going to reverse that. Okay, I'm going to reverse it and take us back the other direction. We're going to go from the New Testament, we're going to begin in 1 Peter, and then we're going to work our way back from, uh, from there. So let's do that. On the front of your bulletin, pull out the front of your bulletin here for a moment. The first verse I want to read for us is actually the third one that is listed on the front of your bulletin, and you will note as I read it the similarity that it has to the Romans 12 passage that I just read for us a few moments ago. Uh, Paul and Peter here reflecting on the same ideas, uh, brotherly affection, and on love in particular. So, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So both Paul in Romans 12, Peter here in 1 Peter 4, set the command of hospitality in the context of love. If you love one another, and you should love one another, then one of the ways that you express that love, show that love, build that love, is to show hospitality to one another. 
Now, not only do they set it in the context of love, but if you're familiar with those chapters, both of those chapters, and frankly quite proximate to the verses that I've read for us, both of them also deal with the issue of the spiritual gifts that are given to the church. And the idea of the spiritual gifts are that these are things, including the love, including the hospitality, that you can't get from just within yourself. They are things that are given to us by God, by the Holy Spirit in particular, and they are things that the Spirit of God uses to build up the church. Okay? And, and so hospitality isn't necessarily within those, but it certainly is a context in which all of those things take place, and it is certainly a means by which we express the same care for one another that we see in the spiritual gifts themselves. Uh, another aspect of hospitality now working through is that hosp being hospitable is a requirement for the elders of the church. Uh, in the book of Titus and 1 Timothy chapter 3, the requirements are set forth for the elders of the church, and among those requirements specifically listed is that elders be hospitable. Now, if you recall, uh, at the last ordination service that we had, I preached on one word, I believe it was from Titus, and the requirement for the elders there in Titus was that they be, uh, the, the Greek word was philagathos, that they, they be lovers of good. And right next to it, or right adjacent to it in terms of idea and text itself, is the idea that you be lovers of strangers as well, that elders should be hospitable people. It's commanded of all, but particularly of, of elders. Now, let's look again at the front of your bulletin. Uh, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 says this. First of all, you'll recognize the similarity of it with Paul and with Peter. Let brotherly love continue. Same context, right? Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Uh, here the writer of Hebrews is obviously reflecting back on the passage that we read in our Old Testament reading, the hospitality that Abraham and Sarah with him show to the divine visitors in Genesis chapter 18. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, show hospitality to one another because not only are you caring for yourselves, but you are also perhaps caring for angels being unaware of that as well. Now let's go to the mission of Jesus himself working our way through the New Testament from towards the end and coming back now into the Gospels. If we were to consider the life of Jesus, one of the things that we would see is that Jesus characterizes the acceptance of his mission, the kingdom, the word, the good news that he is proclaiming, as whether or not people receive him. Do you accept? Do you receive me? And, and in particular, that's played out in the area of hospitality. Uh, two examples of that. First of all, uh, consider... Uh, I'm saying two. These are, these are two together, I suppose. Consider Levi and Zacchaeus in their calling. Levi in particular, when he is called to follow Jesus, what do we read about him? He has a great feast to celebrate that, and he invites Jesus into his home. He is receiving Jesus into his home. Of course, Jesus to Zacchaeus says, I'm going to your house today. 
And Zacchaeus is pleased and thrilled. And of course, everybody's upset because Jesus is eating with sinners. He's, he's sharing the table with people who are notorious for their sins. But let me give you another example from his ministry as well. When Jesus sends out the 72 to preach the gospel, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God and repentance for the kingdom of God, he sends them forth and he says to them, go into the house and eat whatever is set before you and remain in that place eating and drinking. But if they will not receive you, which is to say, if they will not show hospitality to you, then move on. Don't spend any more time there. Don't try and convince them to show you hospitality. Go and move on to the next place. So we see how central this is in the gospel, and we see the reality of it play out in the life of our Lord as well. Jesus, as an itinerant missionary, minister of the good news, depended on hospitality. And not only was he himself dependent on hospitality, and thus we often see him in the homes of any number of people, but he taught about hospitality, right? He taught the people about hospitality in the various parables that he uses, and then in this particularly pointed section uh, that I've read for us in Matthew chapter 25 as well. Uh, that, I hope, gives us a feel for the New Testament because now I want to take us to the Old Testament. And while there are any number of places to go in the Old Testament, whenever I get a chance to go to the book of Ruth, I will grab that chance to go to the book of Ruth and, and read for us from Ruth 2, verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel into the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. You want a picture of what does hospitality look like? This woman is a stranger. He doesn't know who she is when she comes in. He learns the report about her and knows of her. And this, then, is what hospitality looks like. It says, don't just sit over there, uh, but instead come to the table, and enjoy this table and take home the leftovers with you as well. Another example of hospitality to be found in the Old Testament is with the nation of Israel herself. So Israel is in turn both host and guest with respect to hospitality. So when Israel is in Egypt, Israel is a guest in Egypt, a stranger in that land. And in fact, when uh, Joseph is working with Pharaoh, trying to communicate through his brothers to tell Jacob to come down and to sojourn in Egypt, what Pharaoh says and what Joseph says uh, with Pharaoh is, come down, I have a place for you. And what does he send to Jacob or to, to Israel to do that? He sends up to him gifts of food and gifts of clothes. It says, listen, this is a pledge of my goodwill. It's a pledge of my hospitality. I've got a place for you. I've got provision for you. Come down here. Israel becomes a guest at that point. And then what happens with that 
is God says, I want you to remember this. I want this to be for you an example, a lesson to you as the people of God so that you can use it as part of the motivation, part of your understanding of why you should be hospitable to others, why you should care for others. So let me just read um, from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34. What you'll see here is God commanding Israel to care for the stranger, but pay attention to the motivation that is given. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now, we all know that it got bad towards the end of that time. But nevertheless, when you went there, you were strangers in that land, and they took care of you. They took you in, and they provided for you as a people. Now you should do what has been done to you. You should also care for people. All right, now I know we're running fast here. As we continue, though, with the Old Testament, what we come to is this story of Abraham, the one that we read earlier, Holt read for us as the Old Testament reading, that becomes a model of hospitality. It becomes an example of what hospitality should look like in the zeal that Abraham demonstrates to care for these guests who have come into his land. And we won't go into it. I've preached that passage before. You're familiar with it. But all the hurrying to and fro, all of the efforts that he takes to get things just right, even, you know, the, the deprecation that he says, let me just get you a little bit, just a little bit of water and a little bit of a morsel here. Uh, in the meantime, trying to get together everything that he possibly can to take care of him, it becomes a model of hospitality. Uh, to the extent that we're compared with Lot in chapter 19, who tries to offer hospitality to the, the same visitors uh, while he's in Sodom. It does not go as well uh, as, as some have put it. Lot kind of bumbles through it. But nevertheless, he tries to do that kind of hospitality. But if we wanted to understand, okay, let me, let me have an example of hospitality earlier than this, then we can go back as well. Think, for example, of Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, there's been warfare amongst the kings in the area. Lot has been taken captive. Abraham hears about it, and Abraham gathers up his forces. He goes out to war. He's successful. He recovers everything that was stolen and everything that was lost. And we read this. After his return from the defeat of Keterleomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Abraham was first a guest, if you will, shown, we don't want to make this the only example in Abraham's life, but shown hospitality by Melchizedek. Now Abraham, having been one who has received hospitality from Melchizedek, received these visitors who are about to come in just a few chapters after this one that we're reading about here. Now, in order to learn about hospitality, though, we don't look at only those examples that I have given to us thus far, which include commands 
and include examples with respect to hospitality. In fact, to understand why we are called to be hospitable, love the stranger, you have to go back actually to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Because what you discover when you go back to those things is that in fact God is the first host. We're not the first host. I can't point you to even Melchizedek or even Abraham and say they're the first host. They're not the first hosts. The first host, the first one to show hospitality is in fact God who gets the place ready, gets the meal ready, and invites the guests to come to that place and to enjoy it, creates the guests, but invites the guests to come to that place and enjoy his hospitality. When before that, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the earth, we can have one word to describe that situation for the sermon today. It was inhospitable. That was an inhospitable place. You don't bring anybody to that place because nobody lives in that place. There's nothing there for them. What you do is you prepare the place. You get everything ready, and then you bring the people to that place where you can, if you will, show them hospitality. So now, put that with everything else that we've just talked about and realize this, that hospitality reimages for everyone who partakes of it the relationship that God has with his people. The relationship that God has with his people. And because, as it turns out, we weren't the best guests in the world, now hospitality now images not only the creational relationship, but the restored relationship, the restoration of that which was lost. And so hospitality then fits into those first three things that we were talking about. Creation, this is the good gift that is given to you, and then the abuse of the gift, fall, and then restoration the gift that is restored to us as well. To understand hospitality, that is the biblical theological context. We are guests in the world and in the household of faith where we are invited to eat. So, hospitality then is not some free-floating idea that is just out there that somebody thought, hey, this might be good to throw into a list of virtues because hospitality is a good thing and we ought to throw it into virtues. Rather, instead, hospitality flows from the character and the heart of God. And as his guests, we then are asked to image him, to imitate him, to reflect him by, in our turn, becoming hosts. We imitate God as we host others at our table and into our lives. And in fact, you can even go this far. God allows us to host him as well. That's what he does with Abraham. That's what the writer of Hebrews is reflecting on as well. Many people in this world, just people like us, hosted Jesus in their homes, 
And it gets extended because Jesus says, listen, that didn't stop with my disappearance from the world. Instead, as you do it to the least of these, my brothers, you do it to me. We have opportunity not only to be guests in God's world, but to host his people and, in one sense, to host God as well as we provide and we give our lives to him and to one another. Now, I hope then that that kind of survey helps you to see, helps us to see the richness of this biblical idea of hospitality. To, to show hospitality is not merely to extend food to people. It is to stretch and to extend the loving care of God, and it is to stretch and to extend our hearts and our lives unto others as well. Hospitality turns us outward. It turns us away from self-absorption, which is otherwise part of our curse. Now, listen, let me just say something real quick parenthetically. You and I both know that hospitality can be abused as well, right? Any of the good gifts of God, any of the commands of God can be abused in their turn. And Believe it or not, you can take something, hospitality, that is designed to extend you unto others, and you can make it something selfish. You know, you can make hospitality something about you. All of us know that. If you take a little bit of time to think about it, you know that that's true as well. But hospitality, then, is a concrete way of overcoming the isolation, the separation, and the alienation that is in this world because of sin because of our fall into sin. That table fellowship that would have existed in the garden and extend beyond got all broken apart. And everybody went to different tables. And everybody said, I like my table the best. I like my food the best. And hospitality is overcoming that. All right. Uh, that's condensed. And that was a lot said, and I know it was. But I hope that it gives us a sense of the full orb of biblical theology and hospitality. What I would like to do with the rest of our time here this morning is to simply give us four reminders within that biblical theology with respect to hospitality to think about today, to take away and think, how can I, how can I practice this more? Now, I'm going to talk about these, and I'm going to say this before I even begin to share these. A lot of people have written great books on hospitality, <laughs> okay? You should read some of the great books that are written on hospitality, but let me give you a couple uh, today as well. So here's, here's a reminder, and here's reminder number one with respect to hospitality. Don't forget the food, and don't forget the flowers. Don't forget the food, and don't forget the flowers. Now, you might say to yourself, well, I'm unlikely to forget the food, right? I mean, after all, it's hospitality. I get it. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be providing food for another person. Well, in preparation for this sermon series, uh, especially during the time of the sabbatical, I was reading uh, a variety of books, and I was reading a variety of articles that I could find. And in particular, I came across one... Uh, article in a Reformed journal, and I'm not going to tell you the, the name of the article so that you don't go home and look it up. Uh, I, would, I would get in trouble uh, for that, I'm sure. 
But I read this article with a title, suffice it to say, that was really good, and I thought, man, this is right on point. I'm going to love reading this article. And I, and I read the article, and the article was really great describing table fellowship, okay, and the kind of connections that you could have around a table, the kind of connections you can have with your friends, with your family, with others around a table. And I really appreciated that. But I got down to the end of the article, and, and the, the, the author had described some particular experiences, and I got down to the end of the article, and I turned to Lauren, who was sitting next to me as I was reading this article, and I, I had described it a little bit to her, and I said, he forgot the food. He forgot the food. The guy wrote an entire article with food. It's not food, but with food in the title, and he forgot the food. And I, and I thought to myself, what, what happened here? Where, where did the disconnect happen? He was waxing eloquent about fellowship, and that's great, and praise God, and there's much to be said for fellowship. But I said to Lauren, next, next words out of my mouth were, I bet it wasn't over a bowl of cereal. I, I, I said, have you ever tried to have good fellowship with somebody over a bowl of cereal? That's a, that's a fruitless task. You, you won't have any time having good fellowship over cereal. It's really hard to listen. It's really hard to talk when you are eating cereal. Food is, in fact, an important part of the fellowship itself, thinking through what you will serve to your guests, what they would enjoy, how you can prepare it. seems to me to say any number of things, not the least of which is God is good. God, the, the simplicity of trying to serve you something that you will enjoy is a way for me to say God is good. It's for a way for me to say I, I love you and I care about you. I, I value you. And I'm trying to communicate that in what we are giving here to you. Now, listen, again, I want to say something that relates to what I said before. All of us know, all of us who have hosted anybody in our lives, know that what I'm talking about right now can get out of hand. It can become idolatrous in and of itself. <laughs> Here's the reality. The food that we prepare for others in the context of giving hospitality can eat us up. The food itself can devour us because we're so concerned about what will they think of us with respect to this food? Will they think good things about me because the food came out well, or will they think bad things about me because they didn't like the food or I didn't prepare it well? We can get all wrapped up in ourselves. So what I'm talking about right now in terms of thinking of other people and caring for other people, it can get out of hand, right? And Jesus seems to have that with Martha and Mary, right? There, there's, a, there's a point to which you can say, listen, listen, only one thing is necessary. But, but just realize this, Jesus here isn't rejecting all kinds of foods and saying there should be only one type of food. What he's trying to do is to recalibrate a hostess who have got, who's gotten a little bit off, who, who's lost the priorities just a little bit in terms of what is taking place. So it can get out of hand. We should recognize that and labor against it, but nevertheless, to think about the food and to, to prepare it well for somebody is to say, God's good, I love you, you're valuable to me. Uh, and don't forget the flowers. And don't forget the flowers. Uh, you can read Edith, Edith Schaefer, uh, and she can tell you more about don't forget the flowers. But here's what I mean by that, just adding it to don't forget the food. 
When you provide flowers as well, you're saying that I care for you as a whole person. As a whole person, I care for you. All, all the parts of your being I care about. And let me just put this in context for you. When, when God provided for Adam and Eve, he didn't put them in a square room with a table and put the food in front of them and say, eat and be filled. He didn't forget the flowers. He didn't forget the flowers. It was a full-orbed care for them as people that was part of the hospitality. Get the bed ready for me, Paul might say. Bring this for me. I need this. Be ready for me. I need a full-orbed hospitality. Don't forget the food and don't forget the flowers, number one. Number two, enjoy the conversation. <laughs> so the article that I referenced before may have forgotten the food. It did not forget the fellowship of good conversation around the table. If food connects us, and we've been talking about that through this series, it does connect us, then words and sentences, expressions and eyes, all of those things connect us as well. If cooking and hosting and showing hospitality are arts, and they are, then conversation, too, is an art. And like the preparation of the meal, sometimes the conversation that takes place over the, the table takes a little bit of thought in advance, a little bit of forethought to think about this conversation and this particular person so that with each person and with each situation, you can adjust just a little bit what you're talking about, the nature of that conversation, how deep the conversation goes. Thinking ahead can at least allow us to consider how we can take a conversation step by step a little bit deeper into the heart. All of us here, we are all aware of the conspiracy of our flesh Two, in conversation with other believers to keep things on a very surfacey level. The flesh is very comfortable. Guys, talking about sports, or talking about houses, or talking about whatever. It's very comfortable at this level. But what we've got to think about is how can we allow good fellowship to flourish? How can we strive in an appropriate sensitive, listen to these words, an appropriate, sensitive, timely, situationally aware, relationally balanced way to take things a little bit deeper. Does that make sense? Does it, does it make sense to you to say, all right, I can think about this a little bit. I can pay attention to this con conversation because food and, and, and sitting around a table does provide opportunity for fellowship and for conversation. But at the same time, you can force it in a way that makes it very awkward. Very awkward. You haven't thought through this person, this situation. Are we ready to ask this particular question of this person or just to bring up a particular topic? You have to be sensitive about that. You have to think through that and work your way up to those things. Now listen, I, I just will say freely, uh, I have failed to do this on either side any number of times. There have been many times where I have walked away from a conversation and thought, ah, 
you went too deep too quickly, that wasn't the place to go, this wasn't the time for that particular conversation. And there are plenty of other times when I've walked away from conversations with my brothers and had to go back, frankly, and apologize to them because I kept it light the whole time. I kept it light. I just kept dancing around things that everybody would like and, you know, and things like that. And I've had to apologize for missed opportunities for fellowship. Okay. Don't forget the food and the flowers. Enjoy the conversation. Number three, remember the needy. Remember the needy. In the scriptures, hospitality isn't just about entertaining or having a friend over. Now, if you read people who have uh, written books on hospitality, they hammer this point pretty hard. I, for one, don't want to exclude having friends over from the orbit of hospitality, but what we want to recognize is if you're talking about hospitality, if you're talking about the commands that are found in Scripture, this is then not only about that. It's not only about entertaining our friends, but the category is bigger. In the ancient world, uh, travelers and sojourners, they were needy people. They needed places to stay. They needed food to eat. As I've said, Israel was in her turn guest and host. And the laws of Scripture that are in the orbit of hospitality are those that likewise emphasize the kind of people that Jesus talks about in the Matthew 25 passage and others. People who are the poor, the sick, the grieving, the lonely, the, the prisoner, the outcast, the widow, the orphan. All of us are going to be one or some of those at some point. There won't be any exceptions. We, we will all have one of those hats on at some point. And to care for those people, to show hospitality to those people, is precious to the Lord. To see the person, the kid, who's isolated from the other kids because they're a little bit unusual, to go and sit with that kid at that table, to get up from the cool kid table and move to that table, is to care, is to express that to the ones who are outcast. It is, as James calls it, true religion. We cannot dismiss that as something that uh, liberal church people do. Liberal church people care for the poor, we confess the faith. That's a false dichotomy between those two things. The people of God instead seek to manifest their faith in caring for others. It's indicative of our faith. And as Jesus writes it here, and we know he's not saying everything in the Matthew 25 passage, but as he writes it here, it's a line of demarcation. Right? It, that's, that's, that's a dividing line. It's a pretty strong di dividing line as we look at it. So don't forget the food and flowers. Enjoy the conversation. Remember the needy. And fourth, and this will be my last point today, extend the invitation. Extend the invitation. Add another leaf to your table. Jesus, one of the parables he told, was of the great banquet. And as it progresses, the master finally says, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be full. 
the Lord God Almighty is going to have a full house. The table will be full. People will be at that table. All those who will receive him will be at that table. Now, in the last point, I applied that to the needy. In this point, in terms of extending the invitation, let's apply it to the lost, because the lost are the most needy. Last week, when we were considering the dietary laws, we saw that they have been lifted. And the fact that they were removed, lifted, allowed Peter to go into Cornelius' house and eat with him and share the gospel with him. If I were to do a survey, I'm sure that every single result in this room would be if people were evaluating themselves and say, where would you like to grow in your Christian walk with the Lord, that almost on every list would be, I'd like to be a more effective witness. I'd like to see the Lord allow me the opportunity to develop and deepen relationships with other non-Christians in a way that I could share the gospel with them and by God's grace see them come to know the Lord. Many of us struggle with that and I can't think of a better way, literally, I could sit here, I cannot think of a better way to move people towards the faith than by saying to them, why don't you come over? Come on over for dinner. Come on over for a drink. Come on over for dessert. And let's spend some time together. Listen, if you ask them, the odds of them coming to church out of the blue, off the street, low. Right? You've done it. You've done it. You've asked people, and and they don't come. Uh, Even, we might say, the odds of them coming to a church picnic, probably, probably low, maybe, for the confident, the brave, they'll say, okay, great, a picnic would be nice, and These will be nice people, and I'll go. But an invitation to come to your house, an invitation to come and eat with you, that's a different story. That's a different platform that you can bring people in and you can expose to them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those of you who would like to read a story about this, read the testimony of Rosaria Butterfield. Now, I'm not going to say everything there is to say about Rosaria Butterfield this morning. You can look up her testimony and the various books that she has. Rosaria may have been the person, if we put odds on it, the person least likely to come to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. I mean, there's, there's close to the cross, and then there's somewhere out there, and that's where Rosaria was, way somewhere out there. But God used something in her life. Namely, what the good shepherd employed was the table of a Christian family. And that Christian family extended the invitation to her. And she came over to their home, and she ate. And she came over again, and she ate again. And she ate, and she ate, and she ate, and she she was there when they had their family devotions. And they discussed things around the table. And she was there when they sang their hymns after the meal together. And she saw Jesus. And she may not have realized it when she first started, but as much as she was eating the food, she was beginning to feast on Jesus as well. And Rosaria Butterfield 
now has a seat at the table of the Lamb. There's, there's a seat for her. And in addition to that, she's like hostess extraordinaire. So you can read any of her books and find out the, the, the way this flips to the next side of her seeking to extend that invitation to others. Hospitality puts flesh on, reveals the love of Christ. Now, closing, and I really mean this closing, four sentences left in the sermon, we want to recognize something. We want to recognize that all of us are in different circumstances in our lives, okay? That's the reality of the church of Jesus Christ. We're all at different circumstances in our lives. We could put it this way, not everybody has a big table. Not everybody can add a leaf to their table. Fair enough. Hospitality isn't supposed to look the same across the board. That would be boring if it did. Hospitality is crafted to the situation in which God has put us in, in our lives. And so the call, if you're sitting there going, uh, you know, it's hard for me to have people over. That doesn't really work for me for whatever reason. Is to take the spirit here of hospitality and to apply that in ways that make sense in your context. And I'm not going to right now try and figure out all the ways to do that or, or, or say that. I'm just saying don't dismiss hospitality because you think ah, people don't, shouldn't, I, I can't have people into my home. The spirit of this and the practice of this can fit with the stage of life or with the situation in life in which you find yourself. This is the biblical command. Seek to show hospitality. That's it. That's the, that is the, the sweet, the lovely, the delicious command of our God. And there's a promise that comes with it. The promise is, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a table for you. I, I've got a place waiting for you. Now, in the meantime, get other people to the table. Lord, we thank you for your mercy towards us. We thank you for your invitation to us to come and feast at your table. And we pray that as your people in this world, you would allow us the privilege, the opportunity to image you, your care, your concern, your provision for this world in a way that would allow people by your grace to see the Savior. Lord, use our homes, use our lives so that the gospel of the kingdom would go forth, and so that people would delight in you and see your provision and your love. Do that through us, we ask in Jesus' name.